This is episode number 215 with Stuart McCowan of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host of this podcast and also the CEO of Founder Magazine. If you're new to this podcast, we interview some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation and really just try and break down everything that they've learned on what they've done to to build these tremendous disruptive businesses so you can learn from their experiences and maybe you can, you know, implement some of that into what you're building. So let's talk about today's guest. His name is Stuart McCowan and Stuart and I actually met very, very early on in uh, my journey uh, when I started Founder where basically um, what happened was you know, when you're when you when you're just starting in business and and you're starting out, you want to put yourself out there and network. And I don't know how, but I somehow stumbled across uh, Stuart, and I actually reached out to him because he's from Melbourne and he's a, a local startup founder. And I like that he's a bootstrapper too. That always uh, I think is really cool. I got a, a, as founder as a bootstrap startup. You know my. My heart goes out to all you guys that are, you know, not raising capital because I know how tough it can be, even if you are raising capital. But anyways, that, you know, any bootstrap always has a really special part in my heart. And basically, we just really hit it off. And, uh, you know, we've, we've stayed in touch ever since. And he runs a company called Gleam. And uh, they're, they're, they're a software tool that allows you to grow your email list. They provide you tools allowing you to grow your email list really, really fast. And uh, Stuart's company has been responsible for tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of email subscribers being generated uh, from his customers uh, using his tools. So he's seen it all. When it comes to learning what it takes to build your email list very fast. And a lot of people, you hear this, like the money's in the list. Um, it's always about lead generation, getting more leads, finding more people that are interested in what you do and and being able to sell them your product or service, right? And Stuart's a real master at this. So you're in for an absolute treat. And for some of you guys, you might know this at Founder, uh, we're on a mission to building a 10X, you know, 10X better than anything out there, course platform uh, that, that has, you know, entrepreneurial courses taught by practitioners, not gurus, people that are actually doing this in their business. Uh, we're, we're, you know, getting some of the best out there to teach courses. And Stuart, I twisted his arm and he's teaching our list building course. So if you enjoyed this episode, you want to know more and have your hand held step-by-step throughout the process, literally on how to grow your email list very, very fast make sure you go to founder.com forward slash list building. That's founder.com forward slash list building. Uh, Stuart's course will be coming out soon and uh, you're in for an absolute treat 
with this interview. So guys, if you are enjoying these episodes, uh, please do share it with your friends. I know you must have other friends that are founders or entrepreneurs uh, or aspiring founders even. Let them know about this podcast. We're on a mission at Founder to build a household name, entrepreneurial brand, uh, you know, that impacts tens of millions of people every single week. Uh, so guys, please do share with your friends and please do leave us a review uh, for this podcast. Helps big time, like so much. All right, that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump into the show. So uh, the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job? Which one? The one the one you're working on right now. The job you're working on right now. Uh, do you want the log version or the short version? Give us give us the in-between version of, of where did it all start? Like Gleam's a beast right now, but, um, you know, you've done like, I think you've told me you've done like five different startups. Tell, tell, tell me back. Tell me back, man. Yeah, so I'm not. I'm obviously not from Australia. I moved out here 2005. I originally thought I was going to be a DJ. You know, I dropped out of uni because um, my parents, well, my parents kind of, I think it's, you know, as you're growing up, a lot of kids don't know what they want to do. Mm. And I, I was one of those kids. I was kind of told what I thought I wanted to do and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I went to uni and I realized, you know, you know, teaching me all this stuff from like the 1980s, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I was doing engineering. So I'm like, I, I'm like, this is, this is not for me. I'm like, you know, it, it just doesn't feel right. So I kind of stuck with it for a year and then I was like, right, I need to do something else. So I, I dropped out and I had a pretty cushy part-time job back home. I was like, right, you know, I, you know, screw this. I'm, I'm going to go to a different country. I'm going to try and start fresh. I'm going to, you know, see what happens. So I came to Australia because they were kind of making the, the, the type of music that I like. Oh, and what sort? Uh, so I was into like progressive house. Yep. You know, breakbeat music at that time. Yeah, you know, I, I did a bit of DJing. I met a lot of really cool people that kind of you know helped me get set up and introduced me and you know made lots of cool friends. What was your DJ name? Just my my own name. Oh, okay. So I didn't have any any special. <laughs> um, but I quick I quickly realized that like DJing and that sort of thing is not a very sustainable business unless you're like big time. So. I just started looking for jobs. Um, so I got in like an engineering job and then I got a job with like a retail marketing company um, that did, you know, like fit outs for like uh, launches for products. So we launched like the, the um, like the portable PSP, some Canon cameras, you know, a few other things like that. And that, that kind of got me, you know, into like the marketing side of things. Then I became really interested in online so I started building a couple of my own websites, selling like, you know, like back in the day, like ClickBank products, you know, all those sort of stuff that's I wouldn't dare talk about now. But um, yeah, I got a real, a real feel for it. So I built a couple of my own websites, and then I got a job for a startup in Australia here called Hitwise um, as like an SEO analyst, like bottom, like complete bottom of the pile job. But I just worked my ass off. Um, kind of climbed the corporate ladder for about three or four years. At Hitwise. Um, at Hitwise. And then um, I, I quit the company and went to work for like an e-commerce business, helping to grow their business. What was that? Um, they're in the, it, was, it wasn't a traditional side of business. They were in the adult space. So it was an interesting career change <laughs> for me. Yeah. But at the time I was open to trying absolutely anything, you know, um, and that was that was that was really interesting. Um, the way they do things differently, they're a lot more forward thinking. But so I'd been there for like nine months. I was really enjoying my job. It was it was a lot more, you know, because Hitwise was a little bit more corporate focused. You know, there was a lot more bureaucracy. You didn't really have as much control to do what you wanted. Whereas this small business, it really sort of it really sort of you know, it was what I was after. It was like you could make decisions that day and action something that day. You didn't have to get approval. You know, there's there a lot more, there's a lot more fun from that perspective. But then my Hitwise boss gave me a call one day and he said, Hey, Stu, you know, I'm, I've been promoted. Do you want my old job? And he was director of product. And I was like, well, I'm like, you know, I'm pretty happy where I am. And, you know, got my negotiating shoes on and I got hired back. So I pretty much doubled my salary in, in the space of like, you know, two years. 
so I went back to Hitwise and I was there for another four years after that. So they got acquired by a big UK company called Experian. You know, so I got to go through the whole kind of, you know, scrappy startup getting acquired by a big corporate and how that, how everything changes after that. But, you know, I was always working on my own stuff on the side, mostly affiliate. I started getting into like coupons or around maybe 2008, 2009. I was building like WordPress sites in like, in like niche areas for coupon codes, you know, so I built like one for Australia that had Australian coupon codes. I built, um, one for the U S which kind of was, uh, doing like web hosting coupon codes, just kind of anything to, you know, like build, make some money on the side, you know, kind of grow my knowledge, see what was working. And I got to the point where I, I was like, I need to find a developer. And if, you know, if I can find a developer, I can automate a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. I can do it on a bigger scale. You know, I can turn it into a much bigger business. And, you know, you've got to make that conscious decision, especially when you've got a full-time job. And I just had, I think I just had my first kid or was just about to have my first kid at this point in time. It's like, how do you, dist- how do you distribute your time? You know, because you wake up in the morning. I lived in, I lived in Parkdale at the time. So it's maybe like an, 45 minutes an hour to get into the city and then 45 minutes an hour to get home, you know, so the amount of time that you can dedicate on a, a project that isn't your work and your family, it's, it's limited. So you've got a bit of time in the morning, a bit of time in the evening. So you've got to make a conscious decision about what you want to build, build something around how much time you can dedicate. So we built a coupon website. It was called store crowd. Um, and it aggregated coupons from all the affiliate networks from newsletters um, and we launched it, I think in November, 2009, it took us about three months to build. And I'm not sure if you want me to go into how I met John, my co-founder. Please. Um, this is good stuff, man. This is fascinating for me. Cause like, uh, I'd known you for a while, but I didn't know the story. Okay. Right. Right. So, uh, I came to the realization when I was kind of working for the man and I wanted to build something bigger. I didn't want to fully commit, you know, I wanted to do something in my own time. And if it took off, then, you know, reevaluate whether I wanted to, you know, pursue it full time or not. Um, so I decided I need to meet somebody. And this, this was like, this was at the time, looking back, it seems like it was the hardest part. And, um, but I just started emailing all the developers in Melbourne, all the Ruby on Rails developers. For some reason, Ruby on Rails was the platform I wanted to use. I'm not, I'm not sure why I made that decision. I think it's because it's... Because <laughs> Basecamp and those guys are so cool. Maybe. I think because I, I read that you could build stuff fast. It wasn't necessarily optimized or you could, you could build stuff quickly. So I started emailing all the Ruby on Rails developers saying, hey, I've got this idea. And, you know, get a mixture of responses. People say no sorry, you know, this doesn't seem like something I would be interested in. Some people saying, yeah, I can do that, but this is how much it's going to cost. You know, full range of responses. I started going to the Ruby on Rails meetups. <laughs> and here's me, you know, I'm not even a developer, just like sitting there, you know, like, you know, trying to like get people to moonlight afterwards. And then I, my strategy was, using meetup.com. So I would look at who attended meetups mm. and I would try and find their email address and I would email them. And I've still got the emails that I sent out. I don't know if you, if you want to have a look at what I actually said, but I, so I sent one to John, my co-founder, and he was like the first response that was so different from everybody else. Everyone else was quite like, no, pay me. And he was like, he was like, yeah, sounds cool. Um, I've got nothing better to do. And I was like, all right. Um, so you sent so an email up. to all these people that went to the meetup and said like, Hey, do you want to build something together? Even though you didn't speak, you might not have met them in person. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, and John was the first one to say, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe emailed like 30, 40 people. <laughs> wow. So spray yeah. and pray approach to finding a co-founder, a dev, like a, a CTO co-founder. You gotta liken it to dating. Right? <laughs> you, know, you gotta be in. You gotta be in it to win it. Yeah, wow, that's you, crazy. Yeah, I agree. If you don't ask, yeah. if you don't ask, then and there's a lot more dynamics to it. You know, it ju- it just so happens that John and I complement each other very well. I've seen a lot of co-founder relationships go crazy. So that was me just finding the first person that would say yes, and it just so happened that our personalities complement each other. But it could have been very different. It mm. could have been. 
he could have said yes and we could have hated each other. So, I mean, that's a consideration. Um, so we started building. We we would do one weekend every month at either my house or his house, and they yep. would work in the morning and the evenings. It took us three months to build a prototype of this coupon website. We launched it. And within three months, we were making about 30 grand a month. That's good. Yeah, it was very good. We were we were super stoked. And you know, at this point in time, we're like, all right, do we start quitting our jobs? What do you want to do? So John quit his job and he started working on full time. And you gotta you gotta remember he was a Java developer. I think he were he was a contract Java developer. So he was getting paid like six figures plus. So you've also you also I think you've also when you're starting something, you gotta think about at what point, what point in your life are you at? Yep. You know, we we were late twenties at this point. John had kids as well, so when you're late twenties, you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, and you've got a certain amount of outgoings that you need to look after. the The risk is higher, and also the the barrier to the barrier to quitting your job is higher because you need to replace your salary. Whereas when you're like young twenties, you've just finished uni. You have no commitments, you know, all you got to worry about is to cover your rent, then the risk is lower. The the only risk is that you, you know, you miss out on, you know, corporate life or climbing the corporate ladder, you know, maybe making a bit more money. So, we, you know, we made a conscious decision together that number one, and I think this is important. And, you know, this is a decision I made, even though I had come up with the idea and the blueprints of what I wanted to build. We went 50-50, not 70-30, not 80-20. You know, I wanted to be equal skin in the game because it's the fairest approach. You know, we feel like we're both, we both own it equally and we're both willing to work towards the goal of whatever we want to build. Um, I've seen some people say, oh, I came up with the idea, so I want 70% and give them 30%. You know, in my view, you know, 70% of nothing is nothing. So you know, and I think that was a really, really good decision. I also made, made the decision to be completely transparent with everything in the business with one another. So everybody has access to the finances. You know, we talk honestly about, you know, our feelings about each other and feelings about the business. And, you Even know, we're very the employees. Yeah. I mean, we've got a, a, a dashboard in the back end that shows revenue customers that the employees can see. Oh yeah. That's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That honesty and transparentness, not necessarily with employees, but with each other, um, has been important. I've seen a lot of founder relationships diminish because of, you know, one founder is looking after the finances and not telling the other one what's going on. And one founder is looking after the tech side and kind of keeping things, you know. Um, I, th- I think that that was important for us. So we, we went 50-50 and our only goal was to replace our salary. So we didn't have a goal of becoming like a unicorn or some big business. We're like, we want to replace our salary so we can work for ourselves. So from, from 2009, it took us from, it took us till October, 2013 to do that. Yeah. Wow. And, and what happened with the coupon site, man? Because yeah, yeah. Like oh, that was making 30 K a month. You guys could have like both left. Yeah. So, um, 2009, you know, was it 2008? Was it November 2008 or 2009? In January, I think January or February, Google released their Panda update, and that killed us. Like killed us completely. We went from 30k a month to like 2k a month, pretty much overnight. That was rough. So we were kind of using like AdWords SEM to like supplement the traffic and supplement the income. Then, you know, if affiliate networks started cracking down on a coupon affiliates quite heavily saying, oh, you know, they're not driving value, they're leeching, which is true. You know, I don't, I don't disagree with that. You know, I think we, we, we spent like eight or nine months trying to recover from Panda, which I think was a mistake. You know, we thought, you know, we can build better content, but I, you know, looking back, I think Panda is looking at like branding signals, like how many people are searching for your brand? Do people know about you? Is this site just purely optimizing for search engines? I think there was a lot more to it than just, you know, bulking out your content. I can't say for sure. So then we decided to, right, we're like, right, we'll, we'll let this kind of, you know, just die in the background. You know, we had, we had a couple of Upwork employees that were keeping the coupons fresh. And let's just try building other things. Uh, so we built a Pinterest clone before Pinterest was arrived. 
which was a terrible idea. Well, it was <laughs> before Pinterest was around. It could have been a great idea. Yeah, it was called Thing, where you could like save collections of your of your favorite things, and that kind of got some use. But it, it, we ended up realizing that this is a terrible idea because it's, it's not monetizable. Um, so we're like, right, well, we need to build something that's monetizable. So then we we built we built like a version of our coupon site for for retailers directly. So the idea was instead of letting coupon sites aggregate all your coupons, we could help you build a landing page that you put on your own site and you know let search engines rank. You know, so if somebody searches for Finder coupons. Um, then your page ranks and you've got all your coupons listed. People can copy them. You could track it. Um, and that kind of never got off the ground. I think it was too early. I think that sort of product would do quite well now. Then we got into web hosting. We kind of realized, you know, after all the failures, we kind of realized what we were missing and what we needed to do next. You know, I think that that's an important part. Failure, failure really does help you grow. You know, so, it, you know, if any, you know, to any of your listeners, do not be afraid to fail. I think the important part is to fail fast and learn and move forward. Don't fail and then drive something into the ground for two years because those are two years wasted. The, you know, the main things that we learned from those three or four sites was number one is, you know, do not do not rely on someone else's product or traffic or infrastructure to build your business. You need to have, you need to be diverse, you know. So if you're building something on, or you know, on Facebook, on an, a specific affiliate network, you know, one wrong move can cut out your entire income. Um, so that was that was a big learning for us. The second one was that your product needs to have some sort of unique value. You know, our coupon site was great, but it wasn't any better than Retail Me Not. It wasn't any better than some of the competitors that didn't have that didn't have a unique twist. The same with the Pinterest site. It was good, but there was no, there was, it wasn't any better or above than anyone else. So we kind of took that learning to this server burst site. Uh, and what we wanted to fix was the web hosting review space. Now, if you search for like web hosting reviews or anything like that, you'll see that everyone's, you know, promoting like GoDaddy and all these crappy uh, Bluehost, all these you know, crappy web hosting sites that offer. And the only reason they're promoting it is because every time someone signs up, you get 150 bucks. They're not actually promoting what's best for the user. So we built like this script that you could uh, run on your server that would benchmark like your CPU, your disk speed, your network speed, and spit you out a report. And then you could compare the speed of your server to what else is on the market, like a crowdsourced, in a crowdsourced way. And that site got, did really well, got really popular. And then the problem that we had with it was all the web hosts that were like ranked number one and number two and 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 had the best performance didn't have an didn't have an affiliate program or their affiliate program wasn't paying us. So the revenue model of the site, which was based around affiliates, um, wasn't actually viable. We actually built Gleam while we were building that site, so we were running competitions. To like we were partnering up with web hosts. Um, like, so we partnered up with Max, Max CDN, for example, and they were going to give away like 10 unlimited CDN packages and we would promote them. They would promote us. And we used a couple of like competition products and we were like, we could build something better. Why don't we just build something internally for now? So I remember like when we decided this, we were doing like a weekend at my house. We were like, let's just build something. We'll spend three months on it. We'll put it into beta. We'll see how it goes. So we built like the first iteration of Gleam in like a weekend. And we used, I think back then it had an integration with Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure why we added SoundCloud in, in the beginning. And we launched it with one of our own campaigns. So we, we did the Max CDN. And we got amazing results compared to the tools that we had paid for. And we got all these people emailing us saying, hey, what is this tool that you're using? You know, can I use it? So John and I are like, well, we like we may be onto something here. Like, do you want to pursue it? And he's like, yeah, so we'll, you know, I think this was July 2013. We spent three months. We're like, okay, let, let's let's build this for three months and see where it goes. So we built it. We decided, all right, our target market is bloggers and creators. So I would spend 
maybe two hours a day, just cold, cold emailing people to try and get them to use the beta of, of the first iteration of Gleam. And I've still got those emails. I think, I think there's some of those emails in the, in the course that we're launching. Basically what I would do is I would go on Twitter and I would look at somebody running competitions and I would take their competition and I would rebuild it on Gleam. And then I would email them a screenshot and a link to the live campaign. And I would say, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if your competitions could work like this? <laughs> it's mad. And I had a massive success rate with that, like upwards of 80% of emails that I got a response from, they would come and sign up. So that's how we got, that's how we got our first hundred users. Mm, doing that, things that, that, that don't scale. Yeah. That one tactic alone, I would spend my evenings shortlisting who I was going to target and I would do 10 every day every day for three months and along that way, you know, people that, so people started using the product and we sort of had like the part by gleam in the footer. So that, that drove more people. And then, you know, the, the product was, it had a nice twist, but there was a, a lot of stuff that was bad and broken and wrong with it. Like it didn't work on mobile, a whole bunch of other things. So we, you know, along this, these three months, we were getting all this feedback about what wasn't good, um, what needed improved. Um, and we pissed, like we pissed a few people off by, you know, stuff that was broken, but we quickly fixed it, iterated, you know, move forward. The product got better and better, better and stronger. And then we launched in October, 2013. I remember getting our first customer in Stripe. So it was one of the, the, the cold email customers. And they're called Marley Lily. They're like a monogramming, you know, we can put like, um, stitching on your, your clothes and apparel. They paid yearly, which was like 1500 bucks. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, and we just, we kept moving from there. So we were like, right. All right. What, what do we need to go full time on this? So we were, we were still working at this point. Uh, we still, we hadn't gone full time. So we said, all right, when we hit 10,000, MMR, John will go full-time. When we hit 20,000 MMR, uh, MRR, monthly recurring revenue, I will go full-time. So it took us from October, 2013 to, sorry, it took us, yeah, it took us from launch in October to the following October to hit 20,000 monthly recurring revenue. So it took us almost a year. Yeah, I see. Wow. And I'm curious, because you said that John left his job like, ages back back in the coupon days so he was still just just coding and, and and hacking away or did he go have to go back and get a job to to supplement income yeah so he he went full time and then he went back to consulting and then came back full time again so he, he i think he got a good like a good offer of a contract back at census for like six to eight months so we went back and that that's, that's amazing money um you know, and that kind of allowed him to set money aside as well to take a bit more risk. So you could say he took a lot more risk from that perspective than I did. And, you know, it's kind of paid off now, but, you know, and that was, that, that was a good situation to, for us to be in, to have that flexibility, I think. But yeah, so, and then I started full time and then, you know, fast forward to now, you know, we've got 16 remote employees. So we're a completely remote business, no offices. I think, you know, that gro growth is interesting. Like as, as the business gets bigger, your, your multiple of growth slows, you know, in your first year, you might grow by like a thousand percent, then 500%, then 250% and then a hundred and then 50, depending on the scale of your business and the challenges, the challenges change as well. Like it's a lot easier to get shit done in the early days. As the business grows, you got to start thinking about you know, workflows, how, you know, how do we get certain features done? You've got technical debt to worry about, you know, as, as the business evolves, you know, you're the way you work evolves as well. And you just kind of got to be open to that, but yeah, definitely, you know, interesting journey, uh, for us, you know, I think we're, I still think we're getting started. You know, where the, the key thing is that you enjoy coming to work every day as weird as this might sound, you know, I used to hate Monday mornings. I think if you, if you look back at my corporate days, you know, Monday was my most taken day off, sick, you know, <laughs> sick, sick in sort of doc, Dr. Evil quotes. Um, 
whereas Monday is my favorite day now. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So you guys have like uh, quite a few users, like like in the millions, right? Or so I remember when we spoke a while back. Yes, yeah, so over over a million users uh, in terms of customers. In the well, we we do have an interesting product in that you know from the beginning we wanted to make our billing flexible, so we didn't want to lock people in. We wanted to make it you know because competition, sweepstakes, that sort of thing. It's it's not something that everyone does every day. You know, it's a it can be a very seasonal activity. So you can decide to run one this month, and then you might not need to run one until next season or next product launch or whatever you know so you have different groups of people that you know it's a core part of their strategy it's always on they're always doing it you got some people that might run three or four per year you've got some people that might want run one per year and then you've got the people that you know maybe your core audience which are like you know i knew i know i need to be doing this and i i know i need to build my list you know grow my business i want to give it a shot and that will determine whether they you know, add it to their marketing stack or not, or, you know, and in a lot of cases, the campaign can fail and they're like, okay, this is, this doesn't work for us. And that could be down to a number of reasons like execution, the way they promoted the campaign, X, Y, Z. Um, you know, so to date, we've had over 25,000 business paying customers, but not all those paying customers, you know, still exist. Some of them use the product ongoing. Some of them use it sporadically. Some of them have used it and not used it again. You know, that that sort of ebb and flow of churn um, can be difficult to measure. You know, we the way we measure it is, you know, we track obviously our, our monthly recurring revenue. We track number of new signups, so new, new paying customers. We track the number of people that return. So the number of people that have had a subscription before, then canceled and then come back. And then we track the number of people that churn, so the number of people that cancel their subscription. And we're kind of looking at like the ebb and flow of, you know, how do we, you know, how do we retain more people, you know, through education and how do we get more customers through, you know, uh, content, you know, podcasts like this, you know, content marketing is massive for us. We pretty much invest hundred percent of our resources into that. And what can we do from a product perspective to make people's campaigns more successful? You know, cause obviously the more people that see the widget, the more people think, hey, well, you know, what is that? I want to try it out, you know, see how it works for my business. So those are the kind of core moving parts. Yeah, awesome. And, um, you know, when it comes to someone wanting to do a competition and, um, you know, what what uh, what, are, what are some best practices? Because, man, um, you know, we're, we, we're doing a course together and I'm really pumped. Zach said you absolutely crushed it. I can't wait to go through it and start using some of your tactics on – on list building, but um, when it comes to competitions, what what are best practices that that you could share if someone wants to get started to build their list and doing you know one one you know go to is you're doing a competition you can you know, use Gleam like what what what's a go to what what do you recommend when you're doing a competition or giveaway? Yeah, so you know I, I don't I don't like to talk Gleam up too much in in this sort of scenario because you know for me competitions is you know it's like anything it's like it's like it's like a marketing strategy right it's you know gleam is just the facilitation of your strategy and if you if you have the wrong strategy it doesn't matter whether you use gleam doesn't matter whether you use another tool it can either succeed or can fail and you know a, a lot of people a lot of people put all the pressure on gleam to be 100% of what makes their campaign successful um and in some industries that that works in in some it doesn't um, you know, like your sort of industry where it's info products, you know, the, you know, the thing that I boil it back to is first of all, determining what your value proposition is, you know? So if you think about a competition, it's an incentive, you know, so you're incentivizing somebody to give the, you know, give you them your email address or to perform some sort of action, follow you on Twitter, you know, check out your Instagram, whatever it might be. Uh, and you've got to think about what value, you know, what value can I give that person in order to give me their details, consent to marketing. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm Justin Bieber, for example, and I say, and I say, Hey, when, 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 you know, win backstage with Justin Bieber, the value there is insane because, you know, 
all of his fans. That's something that you can't attain. You know, you can't buy that. That's something unattainable. Therefore, the value is inconceivable. And he could probably throw that campaign out there and it would go crazy, right? And, and you know, that's an extreme example, but that is just to give you some sort of context. Whereas, you know, if, if you're a shop that sells, uh, you know, bikes, for example, you know, you might give away a bike. And the, the, the difference in the value is, is different. You know, one has mass appeal, one has niche appeal. Um, so you got to think about, you know, what can I do that offers the most value based on my business? And, you know, I've seen really simple things work. For example, you know, if, if you're a nightclub and you're giving away tickets to an event, some of them throw in like a meet and greet with the artist. And that really, that you know, that really bumps up their numbers all of a sudden because it's, again, it's an unattainable thing. So that's that's number one, thinking about your value and what you can what you can give. And that that value can come through a product, you know, a service, you know, a meet and greet. Um, the, the second way that value can happen is bundling products. So creating like a package where you bundle multiple different types of products together. And so we do that with some of our campaigns. We we build like specific bundles trying to target specific audiences. Like we're, uh, we did like an entrepreneur bundle and we're doing like an ergonomics bundle at the moment, trying to target people that work from home. Ah, uh, that's smart. So that works well. Uh, the, the next thing is uh, partnerships. So, you know, if you, have, if you have a bike store, thinking about what are some complementary products and services that I could reach out to and, and start working with multiple other brands in order to promote my giveaway. And this is this is a tactic I think all new like if you're starting out and you you've got a new store or a new business, this is where I think you personally where I think you should start because you've got a strong product, but you don't have an audience. You know, a lot of people with strong, strong products and no audience, they they're like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a thousand bucks at Facebook ads, and then they throw a thousand bucks at Facebook ads and they get two hundred emails, three hundred emails, whatever it might be, and they're disappointed they're disappointed. Um if you have no existing audience, you know, my number one tip is leverage someone else's audience. And, you know, you have, you have your product, your product, co- you know, your product costs you X to, to give away. And it could be expensive. It could be cheap, you know, in the course, you know, I, I won't, I won't give, I, I won't talk about this specific example, but I'll tease it. Um, in, the, <laughs> in, in the course, we talk about this fidget spinner example where they got uh, uh, close to 500,000 entries inside 24 hours. And they did something really, really simple to do it uh, through partnerships. But, you know, once you've got your value, start reaching out to complementary businesses. Like if you've got bikes, you might reach out to someone that offers bike stands, tires, you know, lights, gears, you know, all sorts of bike accessories and say, hey, guys, I want to do this collaborative contest, basically, you know, we're all, we can all put in prizes and we can all share the, you know, the email list or we can share the social actions. And then you create a, you know, a, like a list of how you want them to promote. Like, you know, you should, you know, you should promote it on Facebook once a week. You should announce it to Twitter, announce it to your email list. You know, ask people how big is your email list? You know, how much can you contribute to this campaign? And suddenly, you know, you've got your product in front of all these you know, email lists of all these other businesses that complement your product. Also, the you know these email lists are targeted to the types of users that buy bikes. You know, it's it's a no brainer, um, and that's a fantastic way to kickstart your email list. All of a sudden, you've got a targeted list of people, you know, that are interested in your products. Rather than you know, I see some people make you know mistakes, you know, where they give away like an iPhone X. For example, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they, they, no, no, right? Yeah, they run a bike shop. They give away an iPhone X, and all of a sudden, they've got a you know a hundred thousand emails, but they're from people who don't want to buy bikes. You know, so you got to think about you got to think about the trade off between quality versus quantity. You know, and you got to find the sweet spot somewhere in between. I think you want to get enough emails that it makes an impact, but you don't want to get enough that no one's interested. And then obviously, once you've figured that out, you know, then you can, you know, you can jump into Gleam, create your campaign, get it done, you know, and there's a lot of product specific tactics that you can use. And we cover a lot of that in our guides um, on our site. And there's a lot of tactics you can use, like following up, 
you know, send a coupon code to everybody that didn't win, for example. Um, you know, that works really well for like product specific giveaways. Like if you're giving away a, say for example, say for example, you're launching a Kickstarter and you're giving away your Kickstarter product as the, you know, the prize. You know, you could send a commiserations email to everybody that didn't win, say, hey, get 20% off it or, you know, back our product pro project. You know, we've got a specific backing tier for contest entries that give you, a a, you know, something cheaper. You know, there's lots of sort of cool tactics that you can use to, to leverage the data that you collect as well. So th those are my like core, they, they'd be like the core things I think people should focus on. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. And like, Gleam's much more than just a, a tool that helps you build uh, competitions and giveaways. Like you guys are a growth tool. Like, uh, like what what are elements you guys offer? Yeah, so I mean, we started with competitions. Then we started trying to build out other products that just can help people grow their business. So we've got a rewards tool, which is like you know, so a competition is you go into like a pool to win a prize, and you get chosen randomly out of that pool of entrants. We wanted to create something that allowed people to get rewarded instantly, you know, so like subs subscribe to the beta of some new game launch or, you know, get get a copy of our new album or a track off our new album where you could complete a bunch of actions and get access to it instantly rather than having to wait for the contest to be over. So we've got that, that uh, we've got a rewards app. We've got a an app that allows you to um, collect emails. So like a email list builder pop-ups, you know, our twist on that is that we wanted to build like a pop-up platform that integrates with almost every email provider. Uh, so we, I think we, we've got about 30 plus email providers. And then we, we wanted to give people, we wanted to create nice templates for people to use, but we, but we also wanted to make it really flexible around how you configure what pop-up shows to what person and when it shows. So we've got, um, quite a uh, an advanced rule builder where you can create rules to say you know if this person's a customer and they visit this page and they scroll this percent and then they try to leave they show them this opt-in form or you know if this person has come from pinterest and they've looked at this product show them this opt-in form and, and obviously people still use it in, in in this sort of way but we wanted to try and make pop-ups more targeted less annoying for people like you know, you just visit the site and it pops up straight away type thing. We wanted it to be a lot more engagement based. We wanted pop-ups to be more relevant. We've got like embeddable pop-ups. So you can embed them in your page. So we talk a lot, a lot about more, a lot more about that product in the course as well. Um, so we've got that. And then we've also got like a, like a social gallery app. I think we talked, we talked about this maybe like six months ago, uh, that allows you to import, it allows you to import media from your campaigns, but also like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and show it off in like an embeddable gallery on your site. So we've just launched like a, like a carousel version of that. So you can like have like a nice carousel on your homepage, which sort of shows recent products. And then we're probably going to extend it into like shoppable, like shoppable feeds at some point. Mm, that's smart. Yeah. So you like it ingest your product feed and you can tag products. Um, but you know, the, the problem with that particular app, in the current ecosphere is that obviously with new privacy restrictions, all the APIs are getting shut down. It's becoming more and more difficult to, to get access to public content. You know, so, so one of the advantages that we have is that we can, you know, people can still provide authorization through the competition and you can import that into your, your gallery feed. Um, but we, we want to move, we want to move away. We want to eventually allow people to upload directly and use social sources as well. So, you know, eventually, you know, you can have like a hosted gallery on your site where people can upload directly from the page. Um, it can import from all your various sources. We, we want to enhance it to do like testimonials, um, case studies, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, basically we're trying to build like a suite of tools to help businesses grow. We want to try and have it all in the one place, you know, so you don't have to buy three, four, five, six, seven tools to do all this stuff. So it's a work in progress. We've got a, a bunch of other apps that we want to launch, but we're kind of torn between making each product the best it can be versus spreading ourselves too thin and, and making all these apps that are like subpar and not good enough. Mm, that's a tricky thing, right? Focus. Well, that's it. Uh, you know, it's a lot easier to build one product really well than it is to build 
three or four products really well. Um, but you also got to listen, like you got to listen to your customers, you know, like our, our rewards app, a lot of our customers want to be able to create like a referral program and kind of like an affiliate program for customers where, you know, you get a link and you share it and you get points and those points can be used to redeem stuff. That's our most requested feature or app. It's something we want to build, but it's, you know, it's how do you do it? How do you do it properly is the question. You know, do we make it part of our existing rewards product? Do we create a separate referrals product? You know, so definitely one of the big things for us is listening to customers, but don't, li don't listen to them too much. Like how do you know what to listen? Well, how do you know what to take on and what not to then? Yeah, so good question. You know, so I've got a couple of friends building products and they're just building everything that people ask for. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's silly, I think. I agree. Um, you know, you will, when you're building a product and you, you may get this, Nathan as well, like when you're building a product, you will get people who are like, oh, you know, I'm not going to use your product unless it's got feature X or you need feature Y because X has got feature Y. And, and you know, you, you've got to, you know, take everything on board and you got to build what makes sense. So what we do is we keep a running log of what people ask for and we rank it in terms of, you know, ease of implementation, whether other customers will get value out of it, you know, will it generate additional revenue for the business? And then we build based on what we think makes sense. You know, in the early days of when you're building a business, you can charge people for certain features and then roll them out to all your customers at a later date. Um, you know, it's a good strategy. Mm, and then that, that's how you know what the real features are you build, because if there's enough demand, people will pay, people will be prepared to pay for something that doesn't exist. C correct. And that's, you know, you know that better than anybody with your courses. You know, I think you, you surveyed people and, and wanted to know what courses you wanted to build and then got them to commit and then built the courses. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic strategy because, you know, you're not, you're not investing all this time building something that, and then realizing uh, I've built something that people don't want, you know, what do I do? Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's a great form of validation and, and just, yeah, it's killer, man. It's uh, yeah, I reckon that's where it's at. Yeah. There's also the feature fallacy, which is thinking that thinking that the next big feature is going to make break your business or, you know, blow it cause up. you to you blow it up. Yeah. In and a good way. Common. Yeah, that's a very common one that I think people, a trap that people fall into. It can happen, but it's very rare. You know, we've we've built a lot of features that have flopped, and we built a lot of features that we thought would be, would would be terrible, and they've actually, you know, gone gangbusters. So, you know, there, there there's a balance between you know what do I invest my time in, from a product perspective, or do I focus on my core product and make it better, or do I you know try and add these new things. You know, but I think as a founder, you just got to have a bit of a, you've got a hunch for what you think works. You know, I think when I caught up with Zach to, to do the course, yeah, I think he told me that when you surveyed, you know, your customers or people that read your magazine, a lot of them asked for stuff that you had never even thought they were going to ask for. Yeah. And man. it really, it kind of blew your mind. Yeah. Like I, I, I didn't know, like this course that we're working on, I dude, I had no idea that, that like people really want to know how to do, to do list building and how to build their email list faster. Like I, I thought, I thought uh, there'd be other things that were, were much more in demand. Like, you know, for some reason, um, a lot of people ask us, you know, um, around hiring, hiring strategies. Cause a lot of our audience are, like I said, offline, like a lot of people that follow the founder brand, they've either just launched something or they've just found product market fit and they're trying to grow. And, you know, a lot of people ask around hiring, but turned out, you know, people want to know how to build their list more. I could talk around hiring a little bit. Yeah. I can tell you how we, how we do it. Yeah. I'd love to hear, but then we've got to work towards wrapping up, man. Cause, uh, yeah, uh, you, your wife's waiting for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so we're, we're a completely remote business and we hire finding developers in Melbourne's tough. So what we do is we look, we, we want to find the best people, but it doesn't matter where they are. And we don't have an office. We don't even really have a culture. You know? That's kind of bad, <laughs> man. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, I, I digress. You know, it depends on the, the person, right? You've got, you've got people that want to 
get into an office. They want to experience it. They want to, you know, have the whole startup life. They want to have all this culture. And then you have people that just want to come to work, do the best work that they can and enjoy their own life. And when I say culture, I mean, there's like, you have to do things in a certain way and say things in a certain way and all that sort of stuff. And and when we were, when we were hiring people, we wanted to, we want to, you know, John and I are not the most PC type of people. You know, we don't try and paint a pretty picture for people. We just kind of tell it, we say it like it is. And we expect people, you know, that to speak their mind and say how it is, because if we, if we don't do that, then, um, you know, then we're hiding things from one another and, you know, when we're wasting time, you know, so with our business, people all, all over the world, the, the only cultural thing that we ask of them is to, you know, when you start work, just come into the room say, hello, tell everybody what you're working on for that day. And then we leave it up to everyone else to work with one another. Uh, we control it via a, you know, tasks on GitHub. So we're, we're almost like a glorified open source project uh, in a way. And that's worked pretty well for us. We don't really do meetings or anything like that. You know, we, we just, we, we, we want to, we want to interrupt people as the little, as little as possible. And then once a year we do like a big catch up. So we're doing a, a retreat in Thailand this year uh, where we're flying everybody in, everyone gets to meet everybody else. That's um, awesome. Yeah, we're doing that this uh, end of this year as well. Where yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, so you know, and I think you've got to decide what works for your business and what type of business that you have. But you know, the the good thing about hiring remotely is that you've got a much bigger pool of applicants. You can, you know, you've got to think about how you pay people. The you know, you can contract people. So you know, you can contract someone for three months, see if it works out, and if it doesn't, then you know, find somebody else, but really, you know, you want to, you know, the thing for us, like we've got a lot of developers in, in Europe and we pay them way above market rates and they're all super happy because they're getting paid. Well, they can live a much better quality of life and they're really happy to come to work and they're really happy to do the work and, you know, we give them flexibility. And I think that's really important. You've just got to think about, you know, what, what does, what does my employee want versus what the company wants? You know, you got to, you got to balance, you know, I've got some friends that work at agencies. They're working like 60 hours a week, getting paid like peanuts, you know, they're getting dirty looks if there's, you know, if, if they leave before five o'clock type thing. And that's mm. not a health, that's not a healthy environment for people. You know, in my mind, if you're, if you're still at your desk at five o'clock, it's like, you're not working efficiently. You're not working op- optimally. Uh, you know, how can we get more done faster? Um, and you know, then you go and enjoy yourself. Like, you know, don't be worrying about work on weekends. You know, don't be worried about working in the evenings, you know, unless something's broken or something like that. So uh, you don't work on weekends or e- evenings, man. I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. But I don't, I, I don't, I don't ask, I don't ask that of anybody else. You know, I, I well, cause, cause our core business is mostly United States. Saturday morning's busy for me because it's still Friday there and everyone leaves everything to the last minute on Friday. So, and then, but Monday morning is like amazing. It's, you know, tranquility because it's Sunday. There's, you know, there's no, no, nothing in my inbox. Monday's my day to like, that's why I enjoy it so much just to get stuff done. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. You make me feel bad, man. Cause most of our team is remote and, um, but we got office here and we're starting to build that out, that team out in Melbourne. But Dude, like I always sleep in on Saturdays, man. <laughs> Do you have kids? You don't have kids? No, 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 no. When you have kids, that won't be an option anymore. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, Im- imagine, imagine that you have a permanent six a.m. alarm clock on weekends. <laughs> That's what having kids does. Oh wow. Yeah. So my wife and I take turns. So on Saturday morning, I get up with the kids. Yep let her you know sleep in make her breakfast in bed i do you know a bit of work just you know whatever needs done and then sundays she lets me sleep in and then you know we we kind of try and leave you know afternoon saturday sunday to do family stuff but you know because i because i work from home i'm I'm around the family all the time so it's not like i'm you know i'm gone or anything you know I'm, i'm there for dinner time every night i'm there in the morning for breakfast you know i help put the kids to bed every night you kind of got to, you know, that's a whole other talk track, but, you know, 
finding that sort of family balance and work balance is, I think, really important. You know, it can be very easy to become a workaholic and distance yourself, especially if you're working a job and, you know, you know, trying to build something on the side. Yeah, I agree. But no, I think it sounds like you got a pretty good thing going on there, man. Like, yeah, just 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 from knowing you, man, like, it seems like you got a pretty good work life balance. Yeah, the the only thing I the only thing you miss is sort of, you know, there is you do miss the human interaction. So, you know, Friday work drinks. Uh, but, you know, so we have a co-working space in Melbourne that we go into once a week. You know, we've got four employees in Melbourne. Um, so we go in there, we catch up, we do lunch, we joke around, whatever. And that that kind of fulfills that. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's awesome, man. Well, look, dude, we have to work towards wrapping up. But um super pumped about this list building course because not only are you really strong at this stuff, you've seen some like next level crazy inside strategies that people are doing stuff through Gleam. So you know a lot of stuff when it comes to building a list and, and how to rapidly grow it and build an email database really fast. So I'm really excited um, to to share this course and, and to share like, you know, everything you've learned uh, with our community. I know it's going to help so many people, but um, dude, where's the best place that people can find out uh, more about yourself, your work and Gleam? Yeah. So check out the Gleam blog. I've got a whole bunch of stuff on there. Um, you know, they can follow me on Twitter. We also have like a growth email list on the blog that we send out where I've been trying to do a lot more emails around you know, like personal success and personal failures around the company rather than, you know, stuff that can help other founders. I think that's the important thing, you know, the email stuff, it's all tactical, you know, and, and in the list building course, we go into heaps of cool tactics and we look at, you know, what businesses have done either using my tool or, or other tools to grow their list. And I think that's super important. I think it's also, you know, important to look at, you know, the foundational things as to how people are running their business as well. So that, that the email list kind of goes into a bit of that. We're, we're doing heaps of, heaps of good work at the moment. So I've got two marketing guys. We're working on heaps of guides at the moment to target specific industries and how they can better use our product. We've just rolled out one on how to, use, how to give out coupon codes and all the different tactics that people are using. We're creating one for Shopify at the moment, how to, how to specifically grow your list with Gleam. If you've got a Shopify store, we're creating one around Amazon. If you're an Amazon product seller, what are some of the ways you can use Gleam? They've, Amazon have just released these new coupon codes that are activated by links. You create them in the back end and it gives you a unique link that you can share with people. So some of these people are putting them into our campaigns and incentivizing people to get the coupon that gets activated instantly. There's all this cool stuff you can do. So we're, we're trying to... You know, we, we try to create like general guides to give you an overview of how to use the product. And we're trying to create a lot more of these specific guides around specific tactics, specific strategies. So you can go in there, get a, get a really quick view as to how to execute within like 30, 40 seconds. And we're trying to add ways where you can copy the templates as well. So here's the template that you can use. Just click copy. It'll, it'll build most of it for you as well. Um, so things like that. That was kind of a long-winded answer, but, you know, that's what we, we've realized. You know, those sorts of guides where we actionably show someone how to, to do something are the ones that work best, best for us. Yeah, that's where it's at, man. Your, your content's awesome. Um, yeah, you, you do really, really good content marketing. That's a great thing to check out. So gleam.io, G-L-E-A-M.io. And uh, yeah, we'll have to wrap there, man. But it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you as always. Um, can't wait to launch this course and share it with you. And and uh, yeah, we still we still got to edit it um, and and go through it. We'll we'll, we'll do one course at a time. But man, it's going to be crazy. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Stuart. I'm uh, I really appreciate, it, man. My pleasure. It's always always a pleasure talking to you. And um, you know, if anyone subscribes to the course, I think there's you know, links in, there'll be links in there to give me feedback or contact me directly. Or if you want to talk about specific strategies, that sort of thing, you know, always, always welcome to see what people are conjuring up and doing. And yeah, hope to speak to you guys again soon. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business. 
which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.